White Winter, Chapter 7 Really? Orin asked, once the traditional post-story reflection had been observed. What? Connor said, clutching his pint with whitening knuckles. He hadn't taken a single sip during that entire tale, not even as a nervous tick. It's just that you gave us a lot of shit about our stories, Sophie said. So much shit, Oren said. And? Connor asked shakily, drawing his pint closer to his person, as if he intended to take a sip. Someday. Maybe. Well, Sophie said, breathing deep. Listen, no offence intended, but Oren's story was about what? A big moose chasing him through a snowstorm? Never said it was a moose, did I? Oren said. Well, it's a bit ridiculous, isn't it? Oren made several noises of spluttering incredulity which were trying and failing to become words. And Sophie, Connor continued, like I said, that stuff with your mum must have been rough, but really, a haunted radio? Getting strangled by a Christmas tree? Well, that's not really what they were about, Oren said. Yeah, I think they were a bit deeper than what you're making out, Katie said. Suppose you're going to tell me that they were full of themes, symbolism, and all that other English class malarkey. I just think that you have some cheek to come at our stories for being outlandish, Oren said. Right enough, Sophie said. Like, wasn't yours about a rock album that was going to cause the apocalypse? Connor massaged the bridge of his nose. I never said it was going to cause the apocalypse, did I? I just said that it gave us a lot of weird dreams. Oren almost stood, but halted himself midway. You basically implied that if you finished making your album, that it would be bad, Connor interjected. I never explicitly said to what degree. You literally implied that there was going to be some sort of merging of universes or some such. Did I? Connor shrugged. Well, is that really more ridiculous than a giant reindeer man? Oren cast his eyes to the ceiling. For the love of God, it was not a reindeer man. Well, if you're looking for some titles for your story, I've got a few. Can't wait to hear this. The Elkening. Boak. The Hunter Deer. Please stop. Rudolph the Dead-Nosed Reindeer. Okay, that's enough of that now. Aw, just when I was getting warmed up? I caught in, almost flinging myself between them to draw their attention. Never mind all that, I hissed. Would you take a look around? When they finally quit their bickering, they came to notice what I'd been carefully observing throughout Connor's story. The rest of the bar had filtered out, leaving us as the sole clientele. In fact, it had gotten so slow that Milo and Terence, left with nothing else to do, had drawn to the edge of the bar to listen to Connor's story. It was Terence who straightened before surveying the bar. Er, seems there was a bit of a mass exodus. You're never usually this quiet, Oren said. Terence draped his arm over Milo. Must be the way this young lad pulls pints or something. I tried to tell him there was far too much head. Connor finally took another swallow of his Guinness, which must have surely been room temperature by now. Don't listen to him, wee lad. You're an artist. I'm telling you. Milo responded with a goofy grin, which lasted until another tremor ran through the bar, knocking the young barman off balance. In addition to this, some of the picture frames were knocked askew. Cutlery rattled and glasses shook, but nothing broke. The flames in the fire intensified, momentarily growling and threatening something. Finally, the light snapped off and darkness descended. Everyone stood, and through them, I spied a shape, darting past the window. What the hell? Oren said. It's all good. Happens all the time, Terence announced to us, like an air hostess explaining away turbulence. My lungs constricted, protesting against the sharp intake of breath I attempted to draw in. 
I saw a shadow as the thing positioned itself to stand behind the front door. One moment, all was calm. The next, the door strained and groaned. Suddenly it crashed open, nearly breaking from its hinges in an explosion of cold air and splinters. Standing in the doorway was Pawrig, or at least what used to be Pawrig. His visage caused everyone present to either gasp, scream, or fall utterly still and silent. What had been a man at the beginning of the night was now a monster, missing so many swathes of flesh and muscle that it partly revealed the skeleton loosely holding it together. Atop his head sat a rack of shedding antlers, and peering through his sallow, corpse-like face were two eyes as red and shiny as Christmas lights. As he made to step inwards, I saw that he no longer wore shoes or socks. Instead of a pair of bare feet though, he ended in hooves. Get out with you, you're barred, Terence roared at the creature. It twisted its head to regard the senior barman. Milo, like someone from an action movie, bounded over the bar top and rushed to the door before shutting it in the creature's face. The light snapped back on and I caught my breath. What the fuck, Connor said. Looks like Mooseman is real. Oren said as he patted Connor's back and chuckled nervously. Christ, Sophie said. Wasn't expecting that. I stared at the shadow of the retreating creature as it marched past the windows again and faded from view. What the hell is he? Terence snorted rather jovially. You may just ignore that one. He's a straggler. Comes in here and causes trouble all the time so he does, Milo said. This belief was etched across the faces of those present at the table. Now we were the ones that were spluttering and lost for words. I was about to say something before Oren said, Wait a minute. He bounded up to his feet. Then he approached one of the windows and peered through it. After a sustained squint, his eyes widened. It's all black out there. Well, duh, it's night, isn't it? Connor said. That's like the whole point. Oren cast a scathing glare over his shoulder. That's not what I meant, you bleeding idiot. I mean there are no roads cars or buildings out there. We quickly abandoned our table and flocked to the window, only to find that he was correct. There was nothing outside now, just a void, as if foxes barring in had detached itself from the earth and was now floating in space, except at least there were stars in space. Now, outside, it was just a black sheet, as if curtains had been drawn across a concluded stage play. Exclamations and swears were doled out by all, but I noted that one voice was absent. When I swirled around, I saw that Katie had hung back. She stood next to our table, looking contrite, like a child caught stealing sweeties. The other spun to face her too. Go on then, I demanded. What? She asked. You were going to tell us what was going on when Connor finished his story, weren't you? I... Katie began. Come on, Katie, Oren said. You owe us one, Connor said. Please just tell us. Sophie said. The fire was roaring fiercely now, feeding on the wood as ravenously as a starved man on a binge. As it burned, it cast light and shadows across the room. One of those shadows descended over Katie, and she remained within it, shielded, only vaguely visible as an outline. Well, in order to explain that, I would first have to explain what happened 50 years ago. What? I asked. 50 years ago? Sophie said. Fifty years ago, Katie said, confirming that we had not misheard her. When we were all in this very bar, together, just like tonight. Connor scoffed and another tremor 
like a medium-grade earthquake ran through the building, rattling the wooden boards and rearranging the tables, as well as cutting out the lights, deepening the shadows. For a moment, the fire choked, threatening to gutter out as swiftly as a blown birthday candle, but when it endured, it responded by roaring back with a vengeance, even fiercer than before, casting more shifting, colliding shadows. I followed this pantomime up with the obvious question. How can any of us have been in this bar in 1973? Katie stepped out of the shadows, entering the dull light cast by the fire. There came a sudden, collective intake of breath from our entire party. Her face had changed, completely. Earlier tonight, I had briefly caught glimpse of her as an older woman, but this was much more than a glimpse. Now, her face remained as that of a very old, very tired woman. She spoke in a much frailer voice than the one I knew. Because, 50 years ago, it wasn't 1973. 50 years ago, it was 2023. The fire continued to crackle, but for a while, that was all that happened within the bar. I could no longer hear the wind in the chimney. What? Oren finally asked. Kitty, what the hell are you on about? Connor said, but there was no more denial. No more scepticism from him. His eyes were wide, fearful. I'm sorry to have been so secretive, but I had to do it this way in order to get us all this far. Now that you're all so present, I think I can safely explain. Katie smiled, and I saw that as she did, the deep wrinkles that were cast about her face like netting deepened. In that winter, on the 23rd of December, when we all met up here, as we did every year. Fox's was just as packed as it had ever been, but Grace had managed to arrive early to get our usual table in the corner. When you all arrived, you all told your stories, three tales, the same three tales that you told tonight, in the exact same way. Katie stared at the back of her veined hands as if she was just as surprised to find herself as an old woman as the rest of us were to see her that way. She brought one of the trembling hands to her mouth. That man, Paulrick, kept causing trouble. He was notorious for it, had a reputation around town, and had been barred from most places for making threats and getting into brawls. So he ended up here, in foxes, and in here, he was his usual self. Worse than usual, in fact, as he shoved people and became aggressive, taking every glance as a slight kept sitting down at tables where he wasn't invited, and slobbering over every girl who entered his line of vision. After he was kicked out by Shay, he climbed over the fence, into the smoking area, and sneaked back in. There were far too many people in the bar at that stage. Pawrig milled through them, tripped, and knocked the tree into the fire. It was mad how quickly the flames caught on and spread. Everyone panicked and started pushing into each other, but we were all condensed, like sardines, as smoke filled up the room. All the screaming we've been seeing, Sophie said, and all the shapes of the people, Oren said. Katie nodded sagely. The way the flames spread was like they were alive, or moved by evil. Within that smoke, I thought I saw spirits, made of smoke, laughing. It was awful. The entire place was an inferno within seconds. I've never felt heat like it since.
I gazed around our group, the burnt faces I've been seeing all night. Are you saying? It sounds insane, Connor finished. But did we die in that fire? Katie composed herself as she considered and sifted through the memory. No, it was a busy night in A&E, courtesy of some nasty third degree burns, but none of us were among the three that died. Paul Rigg burnt up as quickly as if he were made of cardboard. People tried, but couldn't put him out. There was a woman, Emily Dunn, who got trapped in the toilets when the door went up. There was also a young man, John O'Donnell, who got squashed and trampled in the panic. It was horrible. Then why have I been seeing burnt faces among us? I asked. She heaved a heavy sigh. Her head rocked as if the thoughts themselves had weight to them. Because, I think in a way, that fire did leave scars on us, which would last for the rest of our lives. What's that supposed to mean? Oren said. Well, there was one more casualty from that night, which I forgot to mention. Because of course, Fox's itself was destroyed in that fire. The building was condemned. After that, it was as if something had been taken from us. As if the last adhesive of our friendship had been melted away. Once upon a time, we used to go out every other week together. Then it became this quarterly thing. Just for the big occasions. Until it finally morphed into this yearly Christmas tradition. Couldn't we just have picked somewhere else for Christmas? Connor asked. Oh, quite easily. And I thought about suggesting that to you all. But I never did. And neither did any of you. I think that we just never got around to it. So we survived the fire, Sophie said. We did. But our friendship was never the same. We never knew it then. But we would all slowly drift out of touch after that night. Not due to any drama or anything like that. But simply because we got swept up with other things in life. Now Katie looked to each of us. Before her eyes finally settled on mine. And I saw pain. So much pain. And that shadow only deepened after your passing, Grace. Mine? I said, astonished. You were the first to leave us. And the youngest by some distance. It was a night for telling secrets, but you held on to yours. Maybe it would have come out had that fire never happened. But who knows? What do you mean? I said, unaware of any secrets that I was supposedly keeping. Three tales were told of ghosts, demons, and monsters that haunted our pasts. But you were still being haunted in the present, struggling with your own private demons. The others gazed at me, inquisitive, I lowered my face, unable to speak or find the right words. Eventually, I felt so awkward that I simply stated, It's been a tough couple of years. The admission caused a prickling tightening around my body, but I thought that maybe I was on the mend. When I glanced back up, I saw that Katie's eyes were shiny. Judging by the movement of her cheeks, her tongue was lolling, always helping others, always listening to us talk about our lives always hearing stories and remaining quiet, because you always considered yourself as more of an observer than an active participant of life. I think that you wanted to help others with their burdens, without ever adding your own onto their backs. Soon though, too much was piled onto you, and I think you broke. You withdrew from everyone, and retreated further and further into isolation as time wore on. I breathed, rubbing my hands together, 
because I suddenly felt cold. It was only recently that I had started to contemplate the big bad. I had been researching the most painless methods and had been considering, but believed that to be a mere morbid dalliance, hearing now that my curiosity would one day, in the future, evolve into action, felt both surreal and terrifying. I wanted to say something in my defence, but where could I even start? We all went to your funeral, of course. We were all still young. We still had lots of days ahead of us. We all promised that we'd become better at meeting up and making room in our lives for each other, but we never did. Are we all dead then? Connor asked. Yes. At this stage, the revelation brought about no true surprise or outrage. It seemed weirdly logical. Who went after Grace? Connor said. Oren was second. Me? He asked. How? It was on the motorway. A car crash. The other fellow was speeding and gliding between lanes like he was playing a video game. He was completely out of it. He survived the crash, but you died upon impact. Well... That's just the way of things, isn't it? Oren said humorously. But none of us could find it in us to laugh. He swallowed, then glanced at me and gave a commissary shrug as if to say, Well, guess we're in the same boat then. Just a pair of dead friends. What can you do? Who kicked the bucket next? Connor asked. You did. Heart attack. Fuck. That's boring. At least tell me it was on the toilet like Elvis. Sadly, nothing so interesting. You just became a bit inactive and put on some weight in your latter years, which led to a few health scares. You were trying to make some improvements, but it was probably too little too late at that stage. It was when you were out shopping. You were standing in line one moment, and on the floor the next. At least I did it in a public place, Connor said. I like to imagine I made a big scene. Probably likely. What about me? Sophie inquired next. Well, after Connor passed. You and I got back in touch again. You'd been living in Melbourne, but had decided to return home near the end. Near the end, you confessed to me that the cancer was already terminal. All you wanted to do was to get your affairs in order and spend your final days with the people you really cared about. We spent a lot of time chatting and sharing our regrets, things we'd wish had gone differently. And there it was. Four dead friends walk into a bar it was like a setup for a really shitty, unfunny joke. Indeed, what could you do? What about Corey and Kyle? Oren suddenly pined in. That means I left them behind. I know it's probably not much of a consolation, but they were grown up when you died. Unfortunately though, they weren't the only children that you left behind. Oren, rather than becoming exasperated or grief-stricken, which would have been understandable reactions, broke into a big, beaming smile. What? Leanne was born next. I think Phoebe gets the positive test about a week from now, just before the new year. She said she was a few days late, but I didn't think much of it. You're saying I have a daughter? And granddaughters and grandsons. You never got to see the grandkids all grow up, but they did fine just the same. And the great-grandkids are doing well too. And the great-grandkids are doing well too, from the accounts I could find before I came out here tonight. Great-grandkids. Oren said, rubbing his head wondrously. Christ on a bike. What about my sister? Sophie asked. What about Kaylee? She'll be all alone. My dad didn't live much longer after tonight. A couple more years, Katie said, 
They were really hard ones for you, which took a toll. I think that was a big part of what contributed to you distancing yourself from the group. You didn't have much time anymore, which of course, we understood. Once your dad was gone, it was only you and Kaylee for a long time. Until it wasn't. What happened after that? Well, she met Neil, through work. It was through him that you were set up with his friend, David. David, Sophie said, testing the name out. Both of you had families of your own. We did? Sophie asked, amazed. You and David had just the one little girl, Ashling. She's just like you, just as mad. Sophie laughed. When she settled, she became serious. What about Kaylee? She and Neil had two sons in Peter and Mike. They all grew up together, treating Ashling like a sister. Yeah, Sophie said quietly, reflecting. Next, Katie regarded Connor. He swallowed. I doubt you're about to tell me I had a family. No, Katie said. You bounced between a lot of relationships, but there were never any kids. I think you were happiest as a lone wolf. You spent most of your time at your local, where everyone knew your name, and were always glad to see you. Guess that explains the heart attack. What about the band? Strangle Cat played on throughout your entire life. They even became sort of well known around town. They met up less and less as the decades progressed, but it still had something of a routine to it. They still played gigs, even after you passed. They still did some in your honour. Amy has since passed away too, but I'm nearly sure that the remaining three still meet up and play together, plugging the gaps with other friends. I'm glad they're still playing. Connor rubbed at his nose, appearing to attempt to obscure his face. Katie seemed to run out of words at that point. Her mouth kept opening as she searched for something else to say when there arrived the blaring of a car horn. When we peered through the window, into that long stretch of darkness, we now saw a road, cutting through the middle of it. Upon that road sat a small, compact car. Hey, Connor said, grinning. That looks just like my Cleo. Terence leaned over the bar and called, That's your left, folks. Oh, Sophie said, perking up and then immediately looking downcast. Oh, suppose that's us then, Oren said. We'd better be heading. Heading where? I fought desperately. But there was no point in asking. I doubted anyone present in this bar knew the answer to that. Katie's mouth became a thin line portraying very little of what she might be feeling. Yeah, I think it's time. She hugged each of them, doling out goodbyes and wishing them good luck. After their own emotional goodbyes, they filtered out, one by one. Terence and Milo also disappeared into a back room, leaving Katie and I alone together in the large, gloomy bar. The fire was only embers now, giving us little light to see by. I gazed out the window and watched my friends, all climbing into the car. I suppose you can't really tell me about my future, because I never had one. I opted out, didn't I? Katie toyed with the ring on her finger. It was an insecure, almost childlike gesture, which was truly bizarre, considering how much older she was now. I've often wondered what I might say to you, if I ever somehow got the chance. How might I make it better? How might I fix it? I like to play a game to cope. 
I imagine there are different universes with previous versions of ourselves and I think of all the conversations I could have to help you open up, to feel less alone or I like to tell myself that maybe I'm the ghost of Christmas future and I simply need to say the right thing to you to make sure that things turn out better. Did you ever figure out anything good? I asked because I've been trying to find the right collection of words to tell myself for a long time. I think, she said, upon sucking down a deep breath, that I just have one more thing to say, one more ghost story to tell, which was never told on that original night. Go on then. Once upon a time, I had a friend who struggled with life, who often found the daily, routine things that everyone goes through, overwhelming, difficult. But this friend could also light up a room could also be the happiest person you'd ever meet in other instances. It only made her more confusing. She was both capable of feeling so much pain and so much beauty to their highest capacities. And when she was lost, when my best friend went away, I felt such a hole inside. Except she never really went away. Not permanently. Because soon, I'd find her everywhere. I would see her shadow in doorways. I would hear her laugh, echoing in my ears. I would smell her perfume on my fingers, and I would witness her as she arrived into my dreams. And as my mind and body became frailer, I feared that my friend might leave again, might fade along with the other memories of my youth. But somehow, she only became more whole with time. She became my truest source of company and comfort. In the beginning, I was able to convince myself that I was having a delusion, but when my friends started holding full-scale conversations, I could have no doubt about the nature of what she was, just like those three stories my friends had told me in Foxes so long ago, and I liked having her there, perhaps selfishly. It was lovely to see my friend, young and vibrant, seemingly free of all the burdens that weighed her down in life. It made me feel young and vibrant too, but I started to wonder if it was such a good thing for her to be captured in amber like this, just for me. An idea formed. Thanks to the advice of my clever brother Paul, I'd saved a lot of money throughout my life in bonds and an index fund, and thus had plenty of spare change about me later in life. I used what I had to buy the land where foxes had once been. After obtaining all the necessary permits and licenses, I was able to rebuild the old bar that everyone remembered, with its original layout and its original name. Decades later, with every brick that was slapped down, I could not only see my best friend, but my other three friends too, Oren, Connor and Sophie. The images became more solidified in the winter until this day, the 23rd of December, when they became crystal clear. It was remarkable. You were all just sitting there, in your usual seats, chatting as if no time had ever passed. I returned, the following year, to find you were all there again. I even sat down and spoke to you for a while, just like the old days, but it barely lasted for one drink, before you all faded like smoke. It soon became evident, as I repeated the practice, for the next few years, that the more faithful I was to my original role, 
the deeper we delved into this loop that was playing out. So maybe that was it, I reasoned. Maybe this was all about finishing the loop and breaking the cycle. I saw my chance. I couldn't help my friend during her life. I had failed her. I had failed to help her battle the things that haunted her. But maybe I could do this right. Maybe I could help her move on. I knew it was my job to play the role to perfection. To try and recall as much of that night as possible and not allow it to be knocked off course, despite your suspicions. So perhaps it could end the way that night should have ended, all those years ago, with you all safely climbing into your taxi. I glanced out the window and saw them, not quite as a memory, but a sort of feeling. All the days that would proceed tonight, in my short future, all that mounting pain and accumulation of burdens. It wasn't your fault, I said quietly. What happens to me? Or what did happen to me? And it makes me feel sad to know that you blame yourself in any way. I tried to fight it for so many years. I should have said something. I should have asked for help, or at least told my friends how much I was hurting. I was angry with you at first. I tried so hard to understand. I dedicated my life to helping people as much as I could, as if to pay penance. And now you finally helped me. You've played out the loop. And now you can move on. Her shoulders fell, as if shrugging off a great weight. I stared outside, at the taxi, which was parked and waiting. I don't know if I want to leave without you. You can do it. You've got your friends with you, to see you free. You go ahead and get this one. I'll get the next one. The next one? She nodded. I have a feeling that mine won't be so far behind the rest of yours. I looked her up and down, and then I fell into her. I hugged her, squeezing her as tightly as I could, using her, my best friend, as an anchor to hold me to the earth. It was the first time I'd allowed myself to need someone in a long time. I held her, and I told her that I loved her. Until I wasn't holding her anymore. Until she dissolved in my arms, like candy floss in liquid, along with the rest of the gloomy bar. It was replaced, not by darkness, but by a bar full of light, people, activity, and music. Gracie, Oren was saying. Gracie. I snapped to attention, suddenly realizing that I was seated back at our corner table with all my friends. Their drinks populated the table. Are you alright? Oren said to me. You look like you've seen a ghost, Sophie offered. I searched the bar. It was busy, with tons of people pressed together, trying to order drinks from Milo and Terence, who were working as swiftly as they possibly could. I felt a hand touch my shoulder and I whipped around. That was when Katie asked, Hey, Grace, are you alright? I looked at her, seeing that her face had returned to its younger, more familiar form. I'm alright, I said, perhaps a touch sharply. Are you? Well, if we're being 100% honest, I was a little peeved about the whole table situation, but I'm grand now. Just one of those things, isn't it? I stared into her eyes in utter disbelief. And what about all that stuff about us being dead? Dead? And you being an old woman? Now everyone was staring at me, 
Katie sliced through the tension with a nervous chuckle. What on earth are you on about, Grace? Did you have a few puffs of the devil's lettuce before you came out? Sophie said. And if so, do you have enough for the rest of the class? Oren said. Maybe she really is seeing ghosts. Connor wriggled his fingers ominously. You shouldn't joke about that shit, Oren said. Some of us might have had experiences. You have not, have you? I noticed shapes moving past the window and I flinched, thinking again of Paulrick, the monster. But I realised that it was only ordinary people walking and living their lives. Among them, I saw the back of the head of an old woman who seemed familiar, but she was gone from view before I could confirm anything significant. I fought again about other versions of ourselves and the ghost of Christmas future. It was ridiculous. I almost laughed, but I didn't. I just sat there, clutching my glass. Oren then said, I could tell you all the story, but you'll probably laugh at it. No, we won't, Connor said. Cross me heart and hope to die. I observed as they all continued on this path until Oren said, All right, wait until you hear this one. So, it was during that really bad winter in. Wait! I cried out so loudly that it drew attention from neighbouring tables. I think I have a story I want to tell first, if that's okay. They were all looking at me, incredulous. What? I asked. Are you sure? Connor said. Yeah, Grace. You never really tell any stories, Sophie said. Or share things, in general, Katie said. Well, I think I want to make some changes. I surveyed the area and saw the crowds of people. In the background, I saw that roaring fire. Just you all settle in though. There's one thing I have to do first. Just a second. What's gotten onto her? I could hear Connor saying as I left the corner. I scampered over to the door and approached Shay, the bouncer, who regarded me dubiously, as if worried I were going to pounce on him. What do you want? Er, you know that fella that you kicked out there? That paw rig fella? Aye, absolute bastard that one is. If I'd known he was on here, I'd have tossed him out by the ear at the start of the night and saved us all the trouble. He shook his head and toyed with his little walkie. Why? What about him? I was just out in the smoking garden there and I think I saw him trying to climb the fence. Really? What a chancer. He then rang in and told someone called Aiden to keep a close eye on the smoking area. That should keep him out. You wouldn't mind doing one more thing for me. What is it? Well, see that Christmas tree? I think one of those back tables moved it out of the corner for more space, but it's right next to the fire now. Shay paled as he noticed it. Christ, that would have been bad. I can only imagine. I'll get it sorted. Thanks for bringing that to my attention. Thank you, I said. And Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you too. I scurried away, returning to my table. Uh, what the hell was that all about? Connor said. I settled back down, smoothing out my blouse. Never you mind about that. Katie and Sophie exchanged an amused look. Oren cleared his throat. Anyway, you said you had a story. Oh yeah, story time. You'll like this one. It's about five friends who all meet up in this bar, once a year, for Christmas. Too unfamiliar, Connor said. Can't relate to the subject matter. Oh, can't you be quiet for like ten minutes, Connor? Sophie said. Impossible, Oren said. Might as well ask a fish to walk. I might need a little bit longer than that, I said. Well, go on then, Katie said. We're all listening. I met her eyes. I met all of their eyes. Then I breathed in slowly. Well, Christmas is about tradition, isn't it?